peace of Christ be with you. Let us now take a few deep breaths so that we may open ourselves up to the presence that's here among us. Friends, near and far, let us worship together in beloved community. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Glorious God, you bring us together to sing your praises. We gather together in your name. God of creation, in your image you made us. Renew our hearts and ground us in your love. Guide us so we may learn to live together in your ways. We rejoice together in Christ our Lord. Thy salvation be 
You may be seated. Welcome. It's good to be with you here at worship. If you're new to Westminster, maybe this is your first time with us, a special welcome to you. Just a couple of logistics here at the beginning of worship. Um, Just a reminder about masks. We are following the Marin County guidelines. If you're not yet vaccinated, you are required to wear a mask here inside. If you are vaccinated, the county is recommending you wear a mask, but not requiring it. So just so you all know. Also, we are committed to keeping the windows open in the sanctuary to improve ventilation which makes it a little chilly in here. Um, So if you find yourself cold, especially if you're sitting on the ends, please feel free to get up, move toward the middle where it might be a little warmer. We want everyone to be as comfortable as possible. And then after worship, I do invite you to join us out in the patio for a time of coffee and conversation. It's a really great time after worship to get to know each other just a little better. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Loving Loving and merciful God, you call us to walk in your ways, but we continually stumble. Sometimes we get blinded by our own wants and desires. We hurt others in ways we don't even see. Strengthen us. Open our eyes. Help us to live in right relationship with others. Guide us in the ways of Jesus Christ, who sustains us and redeems us. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, the psalmist reminds us that God is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love. The psalmist writes, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for us. Know that in Christ we are forgiven by the power of the Spirit. We are set free. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now is the the time in our worship service where we share with each other our joys and our concerns. We share so that we can be in prayer with and for one another. If you have anything to share, I invite you to just raise your hand. Let us know. Yeah, Florence. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, we prayed for Florence's son, Roddy, who had been sent up to the bootleg fire. He's a firefighter, and he just returned last night home safely, which is great news. But continuing prayers for all the firefighters, and especially others from Roddy's unit, who are now headed to Montana to fight fires there. Other joys or concerns to share? Yeah, Carolyn. Yes. A joy to have daughter Molly with you and with us today. It's good to, good to see you, Molly. Others? Um, let's continue to keep uh, 
Pastor Rob and his family in our prayers. He's been on vacation all month. He returns next Sunday, which means this is the week that they're driving home. So just continued prayers for safe travels for them and for all who are traveling this summer. Let's take just a few moments of quiet, and then we can join together in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Loving God, you bring love to those who feel unloved, hope to those who have nothing to look forward to, peace to those who are filled with anxiety. We give you thanks, O God, for the many ways you continue to be present in our lives, allowing us to know the joy of your abundant love. And hear us now, O God, as together we pray the prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, and do we forgive our debtors. And it is not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom.
Amen. Thank you. Now I'd like to invite any of the children who are wishing, worshiping with us to join me at the front, including any of you that are participating in our mission trip this week, both young folks and young adult leaders. I'm not going to call anyone out by age. Come on up. Um, why don't you, uh, y'all stand up on the steps so everyone can see you. So, um, so let me uh, give a little bit of context for this. Um, every summer... Every summer, our middle and high school youth go on mission trips. Wait, shouldn't you two be up there? Yeah, huh? See, you're trying to hide out in the pews. Um, usually, our, our middle school youth go to Santa Cruz. Our high school youth go to San Diego and do service projects for a week. Last summer, nothing could happen, um, obviously, because of the pandemic. This summer, there was a lot of uncertainty. Can we go somewhere? Can we not go somewhere? What can we do? Uh, Jeff has been working valiantly for weeks now to make a mission trip happen. And so what's happening this week is several of our middle and high school youth are going on a mission trip right here in Marin County. They're going to be sleeping here at the church. They're going to be cooking their meals in our brand new kitchen. Our kitchen is finally getting baptized this week. Um, And they're going to be doing uh, various service projects here around the county. So Ben, you are, you're a, you're a young person representative. <laughs> I, think, I think 10 o'clock in the morning may be a little early for the rest of our teenagers. Fear not, Ben will have pals with him on this trip. <laughs> and then uh, our amazing adult leaders who are all making this trip happen. So what we like to do is a commissioning, uh, which basically means we are sending you off on your trip with our love and our prayers. So, today we recognize the ministries of all of you and commission you to special service of God. Scripture teaches us that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put the lamp on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before all, so that they may see your good works and praise God in heaven. So a few questions for you, mission team. Are you ready and willing to let your light shine as you go out to serve in Jesus' name? If so, please respond, I am. Will you accept God's call to serve, and while on this trip, will you serve with energy, creativity, openness, grace, and love? If so, please respond, I will. will. And a question for all of you. Will we, the Westminster Congregation, support these servants of God, and will we pray for them as they represent us while serving this week? If so, let us respond, we will. We will. Let us pray. Guiding and loving God, empower these mission team members to be your hands and feet this week. By their actions and words, make them witnesses of your great love for all of your beloved children. Protect them, teach them, support them as they take this next step in their own journey to becoming the servant people you call them to be. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and enable them to do their tasks faithfully and joyfully. And when they share their stories in the weeks to come, may their experiences further enrich us 
so that we too may follow your call to serving our community in the love of Christ. Amen. We can't wait to hear all about your experiences this week. Thank you for serving on behalf of Westminster. Amen. And now if you are in middle or high school, I invite you to follow Jeff out for Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may. So our first scripture reading this morning is from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Listen for how the Spirit may be speaking to you through these words. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to God, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second scripture reading today is from 2 Samuel in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 11, verses 11 to 15. Before I read this passage, I need to explain a few basics about it, because there's a lot going on in this story. It's the story of King David, the king of Jerusalem, and Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the wife of a man named Uriah the Hittite, who's also a soldier. The troops are off at war against Rabbah, which is modern-day Amman in Jordan. And it's northeast of Jerusalem. They're fighting against the Ammonites, who's a nation east of the Jordan River, in present-day Jordan. And the army is led by a commander whose name is Joab. In the story, King David tries to convince Uriah, who David has sent back from war, to go home and sleep with his wife, Bathsheba. David tries to do this so that no one knows that King David slept with her and got her pregnant. I need to point out that there's an expression used in the passage called washing your feet. And that means 
to have sex. <laughs> Just to clear that up, in case you're confused. Um, and so when King David's plot to get Uriah uh, to have sex with his wife doesn't work, he sends Uriah back to the front in a devious plot to have him killed on the front line so he can take Bathsheba as another one of his wives. I know that's a lot to take in, but I hope it helps when you hear this passage. Let us now listen to what the Spirit has to say to us today. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. It happened. Late one afternoon, when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman, and it was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. Then David sent, said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. <laughs> Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to the house, David said to, Ur said to Uriah, you had just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Jordan remain in Booth, and my lord, Joab, and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day, and on the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. In the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, 
so that he may be struck down and die. This is holy wisdom, <laughs> holy word. Thanks be to God. Baylor University authors Diane and David Garland tell how the story of David and Bathsheba has often been portrayed in our culture as if it is a seduction of David by Bathsheba. They say artists and interpreters over the centuries have turned Bathsheba into someone who bewitched the divinely chosen king. They accuse her of deliberately choosing to bathe in a place where she knew she could be seen by the king. As a result of the portrayal of the scene, David seems almost like a helpless victim. <laughs> In the sights of a conniving vixen determined to seduce him, they said. Or how about this woman who heard a story about Bathsheba and David at church? She said, the first time I heard the David and Bathsheba story, I was in Sunday school, seven or eight years old. <clears throat> the soft-spoken elderly woman who taught my class held up an art print of Bathsheba, beautifully adorned in flowing red cloth. And she was barefoot, and she had lots of gold jewelry, and she gazed directly at the observer, and David was nowhere in sight. This is Bathsheba, the teacher announced. Bathsheba was a beautiful and selfish woman. It was very wrong of her to tempt King David, the teacher said. Yet when we dig deeper into the story of David and Bathsheba that we just heard, we learn that the cultural and the Sunday school portrayals of the story of David and Bathsheba is not really what happened at all. No, instead we see that God is showing us a story about what is right and what is wrong. And that God calls us to take a stand against those who misuse their power in order to sexually exploit others. To see what really happened with King David and Bathsheba, let us take a closer look at the passage that we just heard from 2 Samuel. King David was at home on his rooftop where he spied Bathsheba bathing. Notice that the passage doesn't say that Bathsheba was on the roof nearby bathing, as you may have imagined when you heard the story. Instead, we are told that she's partaking in a bathing ritual. It's a bathing ritual of purification after her menstrual cycle. You see, women were considered unclean after their periods in ancient Israel under the laws of the Torah. So a communal bath to be used for purification would have been at the ground level. She would, she would have been at a community mikvah, described as a font-like open-air recessed pool designed for ritual bathing. So when King David spotted her from his roof, she was engaged in one of the most 
pious of all rituals, purification. Notice, too, that Bathsheba was a married woman and the wife of Uriah, who was one of the King, King David's top 30 soldiers in the army. Nonetheless, King David ordered his messengers to go and get her. If she refused, she may have been killed. She, as a subject of the king, would have to obey his orders. Therefore, King David's misuse of power was not the sin of an adulterous affair. It was the evil of sexual violence against Bathsheba. Then Bathsheba takes the risky move of confronting the king and letting him know that she is pregnant. You see, it was a crime punishable by death in ancient Israel to sleep with a man that you were not engaged to. And once King David found out that he made Bathsheba pregnant, he tried to cover up his crime. But God condemned King David's actions, which we are told later in 2 Samuel. The thing that David did has displeased the Lord. And, the, and God punished King David, saying, The sword shall never depart from your house. And the pattern of rape and deception continued with David's sons. Meanwhile, Bathsheba's power continued to grow as the queen mother of Solomon, the future king. So there was divine judgment against David after his violence toward Bathsheba and toward Uriah. King David's rape of Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah is not the kind of story that we want to hear about our heroes. After all, we know from that scripture traces back Jesus' lineage to the house of David. So how are we to understand King David's actions? By remembering the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is an important theme in the Hebrew Bible. According to the late Van Harvey, who taught at Princeton and Stanford University, the righteousness of God is God's will for justice and morally correct behavior and thinking, along with the exercise of that will on behalf of the helpless, the poor, and those who are weak. So in the story of King David and Bathsheba, God is showing us what is right and just and what is not. God is showing us the importance of acting on the behalf of those who lack power. For God's righteousness includes helping those who are vulnerable to sexual violence. And God is showing us what the misuse of power looks like in the example of King David. So even going back to the Hebrew Bible and the prophets of the 8th century BCE, like Samuel, King David's story is shown as behavior that is in stark contrast to God's righteousness. God calls us to continue to do God's work in the world by taking a stand 
against those who misuse power and who abuse others sexually. In a recent article in the Christian Century, the writer Daniel Schultz, a UCC minister, explains it this way. As the misconduct of too many powerful men has come to light in recent years, it is important to recognize that scripture does not accept David's behavior as business as usual, and neither should we. Authors David and Diana Garland of Baylor University see it this way. Only those with power can do evil of this magnitude. It is the kind of evil that Jesus spoke of when he said, but those who cause little ones to stumble might as well have a millstone tied to their necks and be thrown into the sea. From Matthew 18.6. These are strong words. But Jesus believed in protecting the powerless from those who would impress them. There are certainly many examples of men who have committed heinous acts against women in the work environment today. Matt Lauer, Bill Cosby, and Harvey Weinstein may come to mind. And of course, some women misuse power and commit sexual abuse as well. But mostly, it is the men with power, so it is the men who are known for the most abuse. You may have heard that allegations came forward last year about Bill Gates, that he was coming on to workers for years at Microsoft. Subsequently, Gates stepped down from the board. I heard Ellen Pau on a podcast recently talk about Gates' departure from Microsoft. You, re you may remember Ellen Pau. She was the first to file a gender discrimination lawsuit against Kleiner Perkins, a VC firm in, uh, in Silicon Valley. Powell was asked by Kara Swisher in her podcast, Sway, about the Microsoft's board quiet send-off of Gates. Powell said this, I wish, I, had, I wish they had outed him. I mean, how do you have change? You have to hold people accountable. And you have to let people know that rules apply to everyone. We wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been pushed out of the company if it wasn't for Me Too. She, of course, is talking about the Me Too movement that started as a social movement against sexual abuse and harassment that went viral on social media. It, it is founded on the idea of breaking the silence around sexual violence. Fortunately, we, we're starting to see more efforts for transparency in the workplace. We're seeing more efforts to create diversity, inclusion, and equity in the workplace. And this is good news because greater diversity brings different voices to the table and more stories so that our view of power and the world can change and it can help to break out of old stereotypes about what is okay and what is not. But it's not just in the workplace that this issue of sexual violence against women is a problem. 
It can also be in the church, God forbid, and the home, too. Listen to this story a woman recently told. I had lunch with a high school friend I hadn't seen in years. She had an uncle who molested her until she was 14. When she finally found the courage to tell her mother, luckily her mother believed her, but, the, but she never pursued the matter. And so the mother and the daughter quietly kept the secret for the uncle. She said, my friend's story was hard for me to hear. I thought of Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel and what he said about responsibility to victims. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Because the mother protected the oppressor, the burden of shame fell to the child. Remember that God calls us to speak up for those who are being sexually exploited and those people who prey on the weak. It is hard work because it sometimes meaning, means challenging people in power or wading into the murky area of sexual behavior, or saying something that people don't want to hear. It takes courage, and it takes faith. It may mean that you need to join in with other people so that we can speak out and the suffering will not continue, as we learned only too well through the Me Too movement. And to not speak up goes against God's will and God's vision for the world. So remember that even when somebody we admire is the perpetrator of sexual advances on someone else with less power, we're called to, we're called to see through the mask that the perpetrator wears. We can't look the other way. For then we are complicit with evil, then it is just business as usual. Remember that God calls us to do what is right, what is good, what is merciful, and what is just. God calls us to act in the world for change. It's hard work, but it's God's work. Mahatma Gandhi said that nothing we do as individuals matters, but it, that it is vitally important to do it anyway. May you do insignificant things. Amen. Let's take a few moments of quiet reflection.
Amen. As we come to our time of offering, I do invite those of you who are sitting here in the middle to pass that pew pad down and back. Um, And take a look at the names of the people sitting near you after worship. If there's someone maybe you don't know, go introduce yourself. If you're new to us and we don't yet have your contact information, if you want to jot down an email or a phone number, it's a great way for us to be able to be in touch with you. Let us now receive our morning offering.
You may be seated. I do call your attention to the announcements in our bulletin and invite you to get involved in the life of the church in the ways that make sense for you. And note that next Sunday, being the first Sunday of the month, is Communion Sunday. We do invite you to bring your own communion elements, something to eat, something to drink, um, and that way we can partake in the meal together. If you forget, we will have some prepackaged elements for you, but you're invited to bring something from home, and we'll share in the feast together. Uh, Many of you knew Sally Lowry, who was a longtime member of the church. She died right at the beginning of the pandemic last year, and her family is uh, going to have a memorial service for her, finally able to come together for a memorial service. It'll be a week from Saturday, so August 7th at 1 p.m. So if you're interested in attending that service, mark that down on your calendar, August 7th at 1 p.m. And I also would like to invite Kurt Peterson forward. Kurt is the uh, chair of our outreach commission um, and uh, he has a little news about pedal for protein which is an annual presbytery event already getting a thumbs up this is a good start um i haven't been involved in this in the past but uh, a lot of people have uh jim gibbs reached out to me as well as rob to ask if uh, outreach would take a little bit uh, more active role in it this year 
and we've got about two months head start. Uh, this, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is a group from the Presbytery sponsors this, and there are a lot of uh, cyclists who ride their bikes, and they do it on four weekends, or excuse me, it, it's from September 19th to the 25th. So some people ride for a day, some, some people actually ride that whole time. Some people go to the Oregon border and ride down to Santa Rosa. Uh, Jim um, has said that what he'd like to do is get a group uh, from the church uh, and ride on the 25th of September. They're going to do a 30-mile loop uh, out of the Knox Presbyterian Church in Santa Rosa. There'll, there'll be more information coming in the coming weeks. Uh, last year, I, the people that I know of that have been uh, involved are Lewis, uh, Bob Miller, Bill McLeod, Mark Sachs, Jim Gibbs. Apparently last year, Greg and Christine Werner did it as well. Jim said they did a virtual ride last year. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but they did raise some money, and uh, it was a decent amount. So there'll be more coming out. If you're interested in riding, uh, either get a hold of me or Jim Gibbs directly. He's going to send out emails to people that have ridden before and see if he can get some support. The other part of it is they're actually raising money, and the whole idea is it's for, uh, to help uh, people that are food uh, deficient, and they, they uh, raise money for you know, essentially food banks. So if you want to ride, let us know. If not, we'll give you the opportunity to support the riders, you know, whether you do a per-mile sort of thing. But it's, it's a good cause, and it would be great to have some participation, get some new riders out there. Thank you. Super. Thank you. So now as we move to our closing song, it's number 70. We're going to try to be fancy. We'll see how it goes. Um, there's basically three parts to this song, Okay. So what we're going to do is all together, we're going to sing all three parts. So the first two lines, the first line of the stanza, then the second, then the third. And then what we're going to do is we're going to sing all three parts at the same time. Okay? So if you're sitting over in this area, you'll sing the first part with Jennifer. Sort of in the middle here, you'll sing the second part with Michael. If you're over here, you'll sing the third part with me. Um, and it's going to sound so good, you're not even going to believe it, okay? But we'll start by singing all three parts together so we know how it goes. So I invite you to stand if you're comfortable doing that, and let's sing, <laughs> let's, let's sing together! <laughs> all right, here we go. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? Justice, kindness, walk humbly with your God. To seek justice and love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Okay, first part. Does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord Okay, keep going, and let's add the second part. Justice, 
kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Okay, third part. What? To seek justice walk. and love kindness. And walk humbly with your God to seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. One more time. To seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Communion and the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. Never know how it happens.